Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey, welcome back to Fandom Power presents The Fandalorian. My name is Wes, and once again, I'm joined here in studio with my producer, editor, Andy. Hello. And all the way out in Halifax, our dearest friend of the show, Hank McLaughlin. Good morning, Alderaan. <laughs> Good morning, gentlemen. Wow, we're in for, uh, we've only got one more to go, and I, I got to be honest, I may uh, shed a little tear last night when the, when the closing credits drew down. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, oh, man. An ultimate episode. I know. So this week we're, uh, I can't believe it. We're all the way up to chapter 15. It's chapter 15. It's called the believer. This one's written and directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who we uh, saw last season. Also, uh, directed the episode with Bill Burr, uh, in the last season. So it's an interesting choice that, uh, he's come back to do this one because Bill Burr's, uh, Mix Mayfeld is a very prominent character in this episode. Runtime is uh, 38 minutes, 27 seconds with the recap, or 37 minutes without. And our synopsis this week is, To move against the Empire, the Mandalorian needs the help of an old enemy. All right, gentlemen, mm-hmm. as we do every week, let's go around the table here and get everybody's initial thoughts. Uh, how about you, Andy? What do you got? Uh, liked it. Again, not enough for me. Give me more. <laughs> More show, I want more. I don't want it to end at eight. That is a consistent fan criticism across the board. I think anything you you look at online term in terms of uh, message boards and sort of fan feedback all say the same thing. Just give me more. So I, I definitely empathize with you there. Anything else? I I agree, but at the same time, if they gave us 24 episodes, it might only last a year. Uh, so I'll take three years or five years in, in, in chunks, uh, just to sort of keep it going. I'm sure they, they could seriously do a 24-episode season, but the budget True. would be insane. It yeah. Would be insane. And, I mean, I know they have unlimited money. And I've i been... got to say, this episode rubbed me the wrong way in a few ways. There's sure. A few little, it took me, it took me uh, uh, several watches to sort of come around to some some, some ideas. And... and uh, yeah, it it yeah, we'll get into it as we as they come up organically, but it took okay. me several watches to just to relax into a few things. Yeah, I think we're on the same uh we're in the same camp uh, camp there, Hank, because initially like this is the first episode of the season where I've actually, you know, uh looked at the title and didn't have any real clarity on it by the end of the episode, at least on my first time around, so I found that a little problematic like believer and so it did require a really subsequent watch it. for me to to wrap my head around the concept of like who was the believer, what was the belief, was there multiple believers, and and yeah, I did I did eventually come debate. around to it. This has been a debate in my apartment till up to about an hour. Oh wow! And I've been back and forth with like yeah yeah because I I had a lot of trouble with it. Yeah, yeah. I but thought maybe all the other was... ones hit me like lightning. Yeah, exactly. Same with me. But I thought maybe this was an intentional choice in the in the part of uh, of the writing and also the directing. Outside of that, I think there's um, there's some great development pieces surrounding uh, uh, Dinjarin in terms of like what I've called like the dad syndrome and how far he'll go. Yeah. And wow, 
I really, really wa- did not want to like the Mayfeld character based on his season one appearance because he was such a throwaway asshole. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, he really came around in this episode, and I actually, I actually related to a lot of the things he was saying. You know, there's the whole, uh, basically, it's the war is hell speech, and having been to war, yeah. I can really empathize with that. So yes. as much as I did not want to like him, by the end of the episode, I, I did. And even Kara, uh, Kara has a little, uh, she's got a little bit of a development piece, you know, just in her, in terms of her, you know, she's very hard stanced against the Empire when we meet her. And that extends to ex-Imperials. But by the end of this episode, we actually see how far she's willing to go and, and what she's willing Literally to do her and line not do. Is... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that actually, as we successive watches, it got in that that explains more about the the title. And I think that the title kind of covers almost every character. I was going that way yeah. too. There, there's probably a, a moment for everybody. I won't say everybody, but because uh, I don't think right. there was a moment for Fennec or for Boba. Not no, not really. But for uh, Dinjarn, Mayfeld, Cara Dune, and even uh, uh, Gideon. Hess. Gideon, they all even have. Hess. Oh, yeah. Too, yes, yeah. They all have a little moment where it's like, uh-oh, they've been challenged on some level where maybe what they thought or what they believed in may have changed. And also, most importantly, in terms of what you just said, the viewer is the believer. Oh, for sure. For sure we are. Right? So, yeah. So, I think that's the biggest thing is that yeah. this, this might be almost meta. I feel this like this one is this whole episode is is a giant metaphor, and I've I say it a couple times in my notes. Unfortunately, listener, you may have to hear me repeat myself a couple times. Uh, last last no thing problem. I want to say in my under my initial thoughts is this episode to me. I know we talked about it last episode as being like uh, uh, sort of the Hamburger Hill episode. This mm-hmm. this episode is it's the Vietnam movie episode in in some ways. That that middle act is very much a, yeah, a exactly. Vietnam movie. Exactly why I had my intro like that this morning. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Anything else anybody wants to throw out before we get into the breakdown? Punch it, Chewie. All right, let's do it. Let's get to it. All right, our opening shot is of the Carthon chop fields, and hey, we were right. It is a it's a labor camp. It's very similar to the scrapyards, the the ship breaking yards on Baraka that we've seen in Jedi Fallen Order that Cal Kestis is actually working at. So, is that a little for is that a little foreshadowing? I don't know. It could um, be. It could be. On first glance, it, to me, it looked like it was mostly uh, mostly Imperial hardware, but uh, there is actually a Rebel U-wing in there. So I guess it's just leftover leftover scrap from the war that just needs to be broken down. And we it's get ninety like percent Tie Fighter pods. That's what I thought too. It certainly looked that way. Yeah. But we get another version. So I don't think it's exactly the same. No, it's the land version. It was another version of the uh, mobile loading gantry. Yeah, and we totally. see you. We see a couple yeah, of totally. those. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the New Republic correction transport that pulls out. Yeah, right in the fir- the opening shot. It's the barge from that. Yeah. It, is it, it yeah, the same? Cool. Is it the same it barge? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. We get revisited by the Republic security droids that we saw back in season one. Only it's a singular droid as he makes his way out to where uh, Mayfeld is working and uh, essentially instructs Mayfeld to uh, step down. And he's remanded into the custody of New Republic Marshal Cara Dune. On our way to meet him, though, we do cross another one of those mugshots. Oh, that's right. With and Sart Julo. 
Right, and he I can't remember the name of his species. I spent so much time on alien species last night. I was so tired by the time I went to bed. <laughs> but yes, that there's another guy from the mugshot. Guys, if you're not paying attention to our uh, our Facebook, and I just <laughs> this I don't want to take away from the episode, but um the three of us actually were were quite impressed where I think we may have actually scooped some of the bigger media outlets with the mugshots because hell yeah. It wasn't until well, it was a day, a day later when somebody else finally started saying, you know, the these species appeared in this source. But um, if you didn't notice, the six guys from the uh, the marshal who ambushed Mando out in the desert are all all in the mugshots. And uh, we did a side by side screenshot of their mugshot to uh, their appearance in the episode, so you can go to our Facebook and have a look at that. We also uh, nailed them on the. Uh the uh, Mando, Mandoa on uh, on Boba's uh, communicator on the little hollow there. They That's right, yeah. With that, like, Circle Wednesday. <laughs> there was a lot of... I was surprised at the number of people that were struggling with that. In fact, there's a there's a YouTuber that I've been taken to watch after our show. Because I, I always okay. find it it's more interesting to go see what other people said after we've had our say. Because then I, I don't uh-huh. feel like it spoils our experience. Yeah. But one of them was like... He couldn't decipher it because he didn't figure out to read it to read it uh, vertically. He was trying to read it horizontally, and of course, oh, it wow. w- it wouldn't make sense that way. No, 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 no. Yeah. So, but you would have thought, you know, like the the columns, just the spacing and the way that the letters appear. Like, yep, it was instantly apparent Even to me. If you wrote them down in the order that they appeared on the page. Yeah, you would get the answer. You would think so. Like yeah. <laughs> in the in the same shape as the hollow itself, yeah, it would just be there. So there's some uh, another time. Yeah, exactly. And there was crit- critical thinking. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so there's some objection from Mayfield about where are you taking me, uh, and she says, "Come on, I got a job for you." And uh, as they as they go off, there's a neat little neat little piece with the droid who basically brandishes his um, stun baton. Which you pointed out, Hank, is very, very reminiscent of the uh, the baton that came with the uh, the two one B droid, the Kenner Super droid. Super similar. Yeah, it's crazy similar. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a little longer and more like a like a, but it's very similar. And then I started thinking that that droid kind of looks like a, a hybrid of two one B and K two S O. On some level, very, yeah, kind of a couple, but like a lot of those working parts moving together. Yeah, I would be interested to know, like down the road if there's like if somebody you know smarter than us comes up with a list of of all the specific 100% confirmed toy references cuz there's been a couple that we that we've spotted but they tend to be like the super super obvious ones and i'm sure like i don't know if the stun baton is a callback or not but there probably are more in there that we're not getting i think where we tend to kill it is with the west end games stuff that we spot well there uh, is that yeah spotting that stuff yeah, we, we, I think we're right on that. And that's going to come up again today. <laughs> that's yes, going to come sir. up again today. So, yeah, we get everybody uh, over to where we see the Slave 1 is now parked on the chop fields. There's a there's a shot there, and it was thematically yes. it's parked up on the hill. Yeah. And it sort of blends in with all the garbage. It does, so yeah. Thema- thematically, for me, that was like the Empire Strikes Back. Oh, dumping the, the garbage. garbage. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. cool. So, yeah. Thematically, that's I felt like that absolutely. Funny, I didn't I didn't make that connection. I don't know why I didn't either. either. Interesting. Maybe it was the orientation. I don't know. 
everybody has a, we have our first big uh, con flab. Everybody comes together and lo and behold, Boba Fett's got a new paint job, baby. What yeah, do we man, all think of that? Maybe the paint was in the the uh, in the hold. It's great. It's really great. It's the freshest paint job we've ever, ever. seen him have, even from forty years ago. Yeah. Um, I called up the animated figure to see how it tracked. I had forgotten, and it's so or not the animated figure, but the uh, the action figure. I don't sure. own one anymore. And I was looking at images of it. I'd forgotten that his helmet was gray. Gray. <laughs> in the, yeah, the toy it was gray. Green, no, like it's right. Sort of armors. Yeah. But it looks like uh, I don't know. It's a flat olive drab green and and the bright mustard yellow it's, yeah it, it looks really sharp against the black now that it's all redone all the decals are redone perfectly all the details in the helmet and i believe there's a new paint job on the jetpack too like a, a different color a different scheme, scheme yeah i like it yeah. I, I liked it a lot uh if you want to equate it back to a toy hank take a look at the uh, kenner 12 inch boba i think there's some more a uh, little more yeah. consistency there though but interestingly enough, so again, here we go down to, is this a writing choice? Is this like a, one of those things that we do to accommodate the actor? Because he's still wearing the robes. And I thought for sure that eventually like he would ditch them. But that doesn't seem to be Boba the thing. case. So is this... It's a new Boba Fett. I get that it's a new Boba Fett, but is this... And I don't want to speak poorly of the man, but is this just their way of concealing Tamura's kind of dad bod? We talked about this before, so or it could be them. Yeah, it, I mean, it it could it could be. Um, it could also be them visually yeah. representing that he's now on a new moral path. Yeah, you know, I I and I totally buy into that. We talked about last week the metaphorical, how the show is the is probably what came out of that initial announcement many 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 years ago, pre Clone Wars, that yes. there was a live action yes. Boba Fett series coming. So maybe it ties into that whole assumption or the speculation we made last week about the, you know, we know the show is a is a metaphorical passing of the torch. Maybe this ties into that, maybe the literal passing. And that's going to come up again uh, later today as well. Before we move on from, might, uh, go ahead. I think, you, I think you might see more of Boba Fett in the show in season three because glaringly absent from the Disney announcements was this rumored Boba Fett. Yeah, it's series. just not there. And that's interesting to me. It's like, oh, they're going to keep him hanging around for this one? I th I think that they're on some level, this is going into speculation country, but I think on some level, you know, Boba Fett's at a point in his life where, you know, maybe he's content to fade away, to fade off into the sun, the twin sunsets, as it were. And, and again, you know, maybe there will be a literal passing of the torch. Some of the other outlets that uh, cover the stuff that we do speculated that, you know, will Din Djarin inherit the Slave One? That totally ties into what we said last week, you know, maybe this is a, a passing of the torch. And as Andy said, maybe not even Boba Fett, maybe it's the transition from Din Djarin to Mandalore. Uh, yeah, that's Either way, awesome. I'm super excited to see how that goes. Uh, before we move on from Boba Fett, though, brand spanking new shiny EE3 carbine blaster looking better than oh, it's man. ever looked before. Fantastic. Mayfeld, with his uh, his initial glance, he's like, oh, I thought you were this other guy. And no sooner does he say that, you know, and here comes Mando down the boarding ramp. And then there's some exposition there. And I, and I didn't write down all the dialogue. This, this episode was really dialogue heavy, and I didn't have the energy to write it all down, but to cover sort of mm -hmm. the, the emotional beats of it. Essentially, they want him for his Imperial connections. And uh, 
you know, he's kind he's of super reluctant. The whole he time. is. Yeah. He kind of balks at that. Like, Hey, that was a long time ago, but not so long ago that he's still not up on his Imperial uh, clearances and protocol. Yeah. It's literally Gideon that checks him. The name Gideon goes, Nope. Yeah, nope. exactly. I want to go back to Scrapyard. Exactly. Scrapyard's better than dealing with Gideon. So, yeah. And like you say, like it's this reluctancy because even though, you know, I can't say that he reluctantly accepts, he doesn't have a choice in this. He does this, uh, you know, the over the shoulder, like he doesn't know what he's getting into. It's almost that like mm-hmm. that downtrodden, like, you know, if, if the chop yards are the frying pan, getting on board slave one is the fire. You know what Certainly. I mean? Yeah. So yeah, they board the ship and uh, we get the title cards. Roll title cards. The next scene, I really love uh, the next scene. Uh, it's an interior shot of slave one. Everybody's uh, strapped into their seats. And uh, they're laying out sort of the what's happened to uh, Grogu and what they want him for to help get him back. And like you say, he's like, I'm not going to do it, you know, at the name drop of Gideon. But then they say, you know, he's got the kid and he's like the little green guy. And immediately we see a change in Mayfeld where there's like, what? You had an you had an affection for the green guy. We've never seen this before. Right. So. Love what's going on in the background there too with the rotating hull. I wanted to bring that up specifically. Yeah. Um, we've never had an interior shot of the hold of Slave One. It's always been the cockpit, and we understood that the that the pilot seat they they don't they have to move on some level so he can get in and out of them. But even in this episode, you see where he's in the horizontal position and he's he's, sort of he's laying on his yeah. back. Yeah. But to see yeah. the whole cargo hold. Uh, rotate inside of the of the the hull of the ship. What a super cool shot! Yeah, yeah. Evocative of the Kenner toy with the gyroscopes on the wings, so that yes. we invert the, the ship, uh, and then the little trigger to lock them into flying position. Yeah, so yeah, very much so. But yeah, that that little internal lock reminded me totally of the Kenner toys. Mechanism. Yeah. And so Mayfeld, for a moment, reverts to his, you know, his fast-talking ways, and he he thinks he can bargain his way out of it. But Cara Dune, of course, you know, shuts him down with, uh, "That's not how this works." Well, what's in it for me? What's and she, for me? yeah, she says, uh, "You get a better view," which is kind of evocative of any number of like uh, prison scenarios. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not a new line. We've heard this before across many many different uh, media. The other thing is seeing a prison camp like that controlled by the Republic also lends to sort of start to gray these lines, which is later on in the episode. It's really you really get a a, a blurred line between what's right and what's wrong, and what's good. Yeah. And evil in terms of what we know. And again, it, it adds to the title. In the war is hell speech. What, it comes becomes very apparent. Yeah. yeah. I've taken later on. I'm going to bring it up, but I'll put it out there now The the. The whole episode, and in fact, a lot of episodes are what I like to call the the giant mirror that Mando may have been reluctant to look in up till now. You know, mm-hmm. all these side characters that with all these like deep histories and tons of exposition are like metaphorical mirrors for him. And uh, yes. this this episode really encapsulates that. I agree. So Mayfeld lays out that he needs access to an Imperial Terminal. Uh, if he's to be able to do this. And he tells them that he might be able to get to one on the planet Morak. 
So Morak is a, as far as I can tell, is a new planet that we've never we've never heard of before. I couldn't find a reference for it anywhere else. Turns out no, that uh, yeah, what's new, that? New new reference on Wikipedia. That's it. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was sounding pretty first first watch anyway. It sounded pretty close to Morag from yeah. uh, Avengers. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, didn't but it though? You expect to see of... a giant head. <laughs> <laughs> so they all say, but there's nothing on Morak, and he's like, no, no, there's a secret mining mining facility that's there. So yeah, the secret mining facility. We get the the idea that they can break in, get the code, get out, and it should be a, an open and shut, relatively simple case. Of course, we're going to find out that that's not the case when we get there. <laughs> we get there, and there's this initial scan of the planet before they make planet fall. And they get a hollow uh, projection of a refinery where they say that uh, what is it called? It's Rhydonium. So there's a Rhydonium processing facility. And conveniently enough, Rhydonium is very much mm. like the coaxium hyperfuel that we saw back in Solo. In fact, it shares some of the same properties being highly volatile and explosive. Does, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it, it's an older type of fuel, and it's almost gone out of the galaxy. Rhydonium uh, is referenced four. a couple times in in uh, Rebels. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and Clone Wars. Yeah, uh, it, the uh, Separatists steal a Venator class uh, ship, load it with Rhydonium, and try to blow up a um, a tactics symposium at a, a, a Republic spaceport. Okay. Uh, in Clone Wars, and it's yeah, it's Hera and um, Sabine use it to destroy some uh, Fire Nox. Yeah. Uh, on a, on a mission. Uh, and it's also, if you look a little deeper in the lore, it's in the comics, some of the novels. Uh, there's three other worlds. I have notes on them. I don't know if I have them. I saw that uh, one of them was what? A- Apex or? That's uh, right. Apex. And they're all controlled by the huts. Yeah. Uh, so Abafar, Sarakor, oh, right. and Trogaria. Yeah. All, uh, and also, they're, um, it's one of the highly sought after things when people sca- scavenge Jakku. Yeah. Uh, okay. there's so much. Uh, and so it's a, a really volatile place to actually scavenge and grow up. Makes Ray kind of so hardier. Presumably, they're hauling it out of the uh, downed star destroyers. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's one of the most valuable sort of commodities that 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 you could get on Jakku. Yeah, finding a, like a right stash. So it's kind of cool. Uh, the canisters are identical to the canisters uh, from. Uh, uh, Rebels, although they're longer and thinner, but they're they're, they're the same red with the same sort of pink same paint markings. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the uh, there's that episode you were talking about where uh, Sabine and Hera they're like stuck in a hangar and they're use it they're shooting yeah. it to yeah I remember that one now yeah yeah okay yeah, absolutely so along with the uh, hollow display there's some uh, tactical strategical information that we glean from that and the fact that there's uh, anti aircraft guns. Uh, any aircraft gun emplacement, and uh, it's it's mentioned that there's a platoon of troops defending the refinery. Skip ahead for a second to the uh, closing credits and the the uh, artist rendition, the rendering of the mm. of the facility. A lot different because <laughs> in that it's a it's a classic uh, turbo laser battery that we saw on the Death Star, yes. and I thought, wow, would that episode play out a whole lot different if it wasn't this like open seated uh you know twin cannon you know single guy That's operated right. gun but turns out no it's just a it's a it looks very much like a second world war anti-aircraft gun really 
And it's funny, there must be some hell of scanning equipment on Slave One because for a secret facility, he certainly accesses all the information yeah. really easily. Yeah, exactly. So that was one of the ones where I went, hmm. And it is kind of funny with <laughs> Fennec too, right? Saying there's a platoon rather than just, you know, in previous episodes where it's like, yeah, there might be a squad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So just, I'm going to... Chalk it up to Slave One's awesome scanners. Yeah. So from, there's a... The next scene we get a it's like a ridge top I guess sort of in the in the jungle line but high up on a ridge we have what I've what I'm taking to calling the crew I know we talked about that last episode that Mando was going to put a crew together so for all intents and purposes collectively everybody is now called the crew <laughs> yes so the crew is staring down this road uh, that goes into this like mountainous tunnel and they see this uh, articulated mining transport kind of go by and it's uh it's kind of cool it's got like this centipede kind of look yeah. to it the plan being to replace the drivers on one of the transports to get in the refinery get the coordinates and then make our way to the rooftop for a dust off style extraction by boba fett but in order to do oh, that covered by the snipers oh, exactly but in order to do that may mayfeld and at least one other crew member they have to knock out a couple of drivers so that they can impersonate them in order to get into the base. Because as Mayfeld says that uh, this base is run by X, all these uh, remnant bases are set up and run by uh, ISB agents. So that really knocks a dent into who can pull this off because as, uh, as he, as he points out, you know, he's free and clear. Fennec can't do it because she says she's wanted Cara Dune offers to go, but Mayfeld's like, sure, I'd love to, you know, as much as I'd love to uh, go in with this uh, rebel dropper, he makes a, uh, a point to say that there's essentially uh, genetic markers that if they turn up on any registry, uh, he says it would be guns out. So essentially, you know, it would be uh, a done deal. And then I kind of had a problem with this. Why is that? Because uh, he, he says if they scan you, they'll find out who you are, but. Gideon knows who Din Djarin is too. That's right. The chain codes are ostensibly all available to whoever wants to look at them. And the characters would be wearing helmets anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that, that he's forced into that. I got to take my helmet off. Well, again, three other people that could do it, but are yeah. unwilling. So and, again, so is this, like, is it a writing thing? Like the thing with the uh, convenient, it's a convenience factor where we need to, we need to is. position these people to certain roles and this is how we yeah. do it. And, and it's fairly thin to me. Like it's a contrivance, right? I, yeah, a little bit to, to me. It is. Uh, I understand that the dramatic beats that happen because of it. Yeah. I understand that there's, there's more thematic. It's, it's a little deeper than that, but for like, the way we get there is a little thin for me, but yeah, I can, de okay. I can definitely see that the guy who never shows his face. Right. <laughs> but I, I love the line from Boba Fett where he's like, yeah, line of the episode. Uh, my face is highly recognizable. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There may be a couple million guys in the galaxy. Which is interesting exactly at this like. point because it, it suggests that the collective memory of the galaxy is not as short when it comes to the clone army as it is with the Jedi, you know? Uh, no, exactly. Well, exactly. And they've been, I mean, they've been, they're the master propagandists, right? Right. Exactly. The, all the empire posters and the hollow vids and, you know, join the empire. And yeah. The, 
there's a lot of that going on, right? So, I mean, not after the war ostensibly, but that's right. You know, during during the the Galactic Civil War, and for a large portion of that, we we sort of tend to forget that the Empire just ruled. Like, that's right. We didn't get into the Galactic Civil War till the movie started. No, you're right. The whole you're time right. that Rebels is happening, the whole time after Revenge of the Sith, it's just the Empire running roughshod on the galaxy. Yeah, and I mean, as you say, Rebels, at least in the early the early seasons. You know, there's no cohesion to the rebel. There's no rebel alliance. It's indivi- individual, independent cells of insurgents, because that's what they would be, who are operating against the legitimate government, dictatorship or not. They are the legitimate government. So it's Absolutely. kind of the first, uh, inklings, the first inklings of a rebel alliance are cut from Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right, but it's in the novel that whole meeting that they have in Padme's uh, apartment with um, Mon Mothma and and uh, Bail Organa and some other some other senators. But um, she, yeah, she does not want to be, and she says specifically, she's like, I don't want anything to do. She's like, I believe in whatever it is you're doing, but I want no part of it because if something ever happens, I can't tell them what I don't know. Yeah. Essentially, is what it boils yeah, down right. to. I think even in the cutscene, it's referred to as a rebel alliance. Uh, it may be. I'd have to go back and have a look at it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. But... Or he may have spoken loosely about uh, the uh, our alliance or the alliance that we're forming. Or yeah. but some, yeah, exactly. it's on the nose to the fan anyway. I wonder if cutscenes are canon. You know what? I don't know because some of those again. <laughs> going back to it that. Came up last episode about the dent in Boba's helmet and how right. he got it in canon. But it's yeah. a cut scene from Clone Wars. Right. So is it canon? Or, know. <laughs> you know, the the earlier script drafts that make it into the novelizations, but they're not part of the film, you know? Right. Certainly. Right. So there the, is a tiny gray area there. There is. I'm sure the straight answer is if it didn't happen visually, it didn't happen. But, you know, I still like mm-hmm. to have that little uh, error uh, margin of error where maybe my head canon is... It makes me maybe just yeah, that yeah. that much more happier, <laughs> or angry depending on what it is. <laughs> I'm like a VT1S. I have four head cannons. Yeah, really. So, Mando volunteers, which you know is like, oh, how is this going to work? Uses his oh, once again, uh, Mando Vision. We take a, a yes. close in zoom up on the cab of one of the uh, transports, and we can see that. Uh, driver and co-driver each are dressed, uh, now it's, it's muted, but they're wearing the tank driver armor that we saw back in Rogue One. Absolutely. And on successive watches of this, what I realized was in that moment, that's when he gets the idea for the helmet. And so before that moment, I can see why the other three characters thought they'd have to walk in dressed the way they were dressed, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. It's almost like that's the moment he comes up with the plan to yeah. change helmets. Yeah. Because he does say, I won't be showing my yeah, face. Yeah, exactly, but I won't be showing my face. So we get a we get a cool shot here where Mayfeld, Kara, and Mando drop down onto the uh, the mining vehicle as it's passing into one of the tunnels. Great little camera trick, too. I, I stopped it, and I watched it a couple of times. I said to my wife, I'm like, that's cool. You want to see this camera trick? And she's like, what's that? I'm like, when they jump onto the top of that, it's not moving. It's the camera panning around and and it creates that illusion of of motion. But old oh, nice. old filmmaking techniques that are still super, super effective, and that's one of them. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about this uh this transport because it's it's another one of our callbacks. Like it it's got this like it's like a 
for lack of a better word, it's like this reptilian sort of head on it, you know, which I refer to as the the cab. And it's articulated like a centipede. So it's almost like, you know, they said it's a 10-wheeled transport. So I just assume, but when you look at it, it looks modular. Like, to me, they could have stuck in two or three times as many pods and it would still work because they just, you know, link together like a train. And that's sort of the vibe that I got from it. But absolutely, we get back to our uh, our second and third viewings and stuff where we we put all the uh, put all the nannies on with the descriptive audios and the subtitles and mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. descriptive audio lady this week referred to it as a juggernaut and uh, yes, sir yeah so juggernaut there's a there's a history here for juggernaut in Star Wars particularly when you go back at least visually speaking. Um, Juggernaut is the same name given to uh, what they called the old uh, turbo tank from the Clone Wars. Yeah. And if you don't. H-A-W-A-5. Yeah. And so if you don't remember that, it's the multi-wheeled vehicle that looked like an AT-AT on wheels. It's the, I think that's the easiest way to describe that. Absolutely. From the old West End games, once again. Yeah, so this thing shares a so similar design aesthetic with the the HAV Juggernaut, the turbo tank from Revenge of the Sith, and then we saw it again in in uh, Rogue One because it was being used as a prisoner transport to move uh, Jyn Erso right. and those other prisoners. But yeah, so the earliest reference that I can find for this thing, and I remember it immediately because I thought it was cool even back then, was back in the West End games, the Imperial yes, Source sir. Book, nineteen eighty nine. Uh, yes, sir. A couple big differences, though, that the one in the Imperial source book has like a, a gun turret like on the cab and there's like a big conning tower sticking out the back end of it. But like the yeah, profile yeah. is like a dome mounted cannon on the front. Yeah, that's dome. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But outside of those two features, it's the same thing that we see in Revenge of the Sith. Who's to say they didn't mod it because of the terrain? Like those are oh, fairly uh, yeah short rooftops they're passing that, exactly so but even the even the cab is a little more squat like it's it's not as it's not as tall I guess certain well, years on so perhaps it's an A six A seven A eight A nine yeah like it's a uh, model, right I feel like it's got to be like a family of vehicles. And this is like, Certainly. again, it, it makes sense when you're talking from a military uh, military perspective where you have, you know, a series of vehicles that have a similar chassis, but they're kitted out differently for different roles. So maybe because mm-hmm. they, sh- they certainly share the same sort of the wheels and the wheel hubs with that central mm-hmm. uh, bar is very reminiscent of what we saw in the other two sources. Like a neon and a PT cruiser. Yeah, exactly. So same same chassis, same engine, that kind of stuff. Interesting note here at, at this point. So Kara, who is now wearing her New Republic Marshal badge as a belt buckle, uh, yes, sir. which I thought was a cool way to, because I'm like, how is she going to carry that thing? But now it's perfect. She's wearing it. <laughs> she's really wearing it out there now. Uh, she drops into the cockpit and single-handedly muscles these two guys into the dashboard, knocking them out, which I thought, yeah, she's still pretty badass. Oh, yeah. At which point she stops the whole transport. And then we get this whole little uh, moment where, you know, they're changing, you know, where Mayfeld, Mayfeld really 
gets into this like, oh my God, this guy stunk. The gloves are still wet. And, you know, like it really plays on the whole idea that the planet, this jungle planet is, uh, it's hot and sticky and humid. Yeah. It really comes through in that. It led me to a strange thought too. If this guy has been wearing that armor for a shift. Yeah, oh yeah. Imagine how bad the inside of Mando's helmet smells. <laughs> <laughs> Since he's had Grogo, uh, so at late like a year, he's been sleeping in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it just it just hit me, and I went, "Oh, I shuddered." <laughs> and it was the line about how the gloves were wet and how the yeah. armor smelled. Yeah, and it was like that led me right to that thought. I went, "Oh, yeah." Jesus. And then we see Mando kind of come out from an outcrop, uh, from around a corner, sort of in the tunnel. And he's dressed head to toe in the tank driver armor, and he's uh, got a big sack, presumably full of his uh, Beskar. And, and so uh, for the first time, and I got them right here beside me. Yep. I got a mud trooper, and I got the uh, the armored uh, the hover tank pilot. Yep. And it's they've mashed them together. And yeah. The pilot is the exact same as the Mimbon trooper. That yeah. Olive drab, almost gray. Yes. And it's expensive. They're almost identical, except they just put the helmet. Put the tank the driver helmet. Yeah. Because to me, yeah. like the tank driver, I have a tank driver in my six inch collection. And, and to me, it's mm-hmm. like the tank driver has like the shore trooper armor with the tank totally driver does. helmet. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. So they're just they're mixing and matching, which is cool because we all want to do that. I feel like I love every helmet that comes with a six inch figure to be removable just for that. reason. Yeah. What I like about it is it's indicative of different roles across a military like if these guys are, you know, essentially truck drivers, there's less of a need for them to be as armored as a tank commander, maybe, or arguably, no, exactly. it's, arguably it's reversed because maybe there's more armor on a tank than there is on a truck. But, you know, well, that's me just trying to make it work. <laughs> I think we've just struck yeah. an idea for Disney there. What's that? Uh, a, say, clone trooper or trooper build set. Build oh, yeah, really? Trooper. Oh, man. Yeah, build. Oh, it. We got the we got the droid factory. Give me the uh, give me the cloning chamber. <laughs> Come on, Hasbro, make it happen. Build my own clone. Build my own trooper. I think it's I think it's called a three D printer, fellas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so speaking of uh, jokes, we get Mayfeld going back to sort of his uh, his uh, mouthpiece ways, and uh, there's a couple of there's a couple of lines, you know. Oh, the shame. And uh, I thought, wow, that's pretty ballsy for someone who's on loan from prison. You know, at the same time, I guess he's he's of the mindset, what have I got to lose? You know, and then there's well, this is it. He's in. He's in. He's in now. There's oh, he's yeah. He's it. definitely in. Makes a couple more overtures about uh, you know you know wishing that Kara would was coming along because you know someone with your sunny disposition, and then even you know goes back to Mando and just starts poking at Mando about you know what would they say on mandalore and i thought man you are like you're skirting the edge here like i'd almost be inclined to pop one in the nose yeah I, as soon as i see the guy but that's a whole different thing um <laughs> but it does lend to his his uh growth as a character i have to admit that it took me several watches yep. but that that little barbing there adds yep. depth to what happens next it's almost it really, like it really yeah. we do it all the time in the military where we we poke each other and we we rib and we jab and it's like this you know it's it's a, it's a sense of humor that I unless you work in one of those environments I think it's hard maybe for somebody who doesn't to understand it but really 
it's almost out of a sense of camaraderie, I You're guess. You're getting more comfortable mm-hmm. with yeah. people. Yeah, for sure. for sure. Exactly the same on a large construction crew. I just, think so, yeah. You know. So they bound up in the uh, in the cab and they start making their way over to the refinery. There is one point there, though, yep. that is kind of a throwback to what I said in the first season piece. Yes. About Mando and Kara kind of being like the uh, metaphorical father and mother for Grogu. Oh, yeah. And it'll play out later in what the people around Din see. Okay. But uh, Mayfeld kind of poking at their moment where he's passing the armor off to her. Yeah. And he's like, come on, we got to go. Right, right. And they're almost sharing a moment. Yeah. No, almost. that's very true. I and thought she says very specifically, I, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I thought you were going to make a, a crack about uh, Mayfeld being the cool uncle. <laughs> no, maybe, but no. Maybe Bobby, Bobby. Maybe later, but not as of right now. I, I think it's more or less what what the outside uh, viewpoint of Din is as compared to what he sees himself as. Yeah. Like other people are kind of taking notice of his changes. Yep. And that'll kind of play more heavy later, but uh, yeah, it really will. So the whole the whole drive is punctuated with Mayfeld trying to make small talk, and he doesn't really get through. You know, Mando is like this wall of silence, staring at the window, and uh, he really just he's not budging a bit. So finally, you know, he's like, "I'm just gonna take my helmet off here because it's cooler without it." And I don't know how you people do this. Yeah, exactly. And I oh, and by you people, I mean Mandalorians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was that a uh, was that a Don Cherry reference? You people, maybe. I think it was, maybe it was. Well, it's a lot like his stand-up com- comedy, <laughs> which I am not, not familiar with. A, yeah, he's not known for being exactly polite. Oh, uh, okay, or, fair enough. Yeah, so coming very out, outspoken, if you will. Could coming also out, be a throwback to a Tropic Thunder reference. What do you mean, you people? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it sort of is a reference to that, but in terms of, in a larger picture, I think, if you know what I mean. That it's yeah. a racial connotation. Yeah, exactly, and he's yeah. known for some racially uh, sensitive comedy. Oh, sure, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So they pass out the other end of the tunnel, and we can see Fennec has an Overwatch position high up on a ridge. And she's watching them through the the scope of her rifle, and she makes the the first call, which is I found this whole thing is very militant, like like operationally speaking, where she basically calls it in. Phase one complete, we're in, and now they they move into the next phase of the op of the operation. Boba is, Fett's is like this the part where they scope the uh, actual troops on the roof. Not no, yet. not yet. They've just come out of the tunnel. Okay. They All still right. have they still okay, have to get right. to the village. So Boba Fett responds. Oh, yeah, so he responds with a uh, copy standing by. And then there's some more, you know, one-sided small talk. And this is where things start to get a little bit, like, pensive because we see the first burned-out hulk of another juggernaut on the side of the road. And Mayfeld's, like, he's got this look of, like, well, what the hell happened here? Mm-hmm. And sort of similarly, on the right-hand side, we see another one. But no sooner does that happen that there's a there's a calm the calm chatter uh, breaks and there's another uh, um, there's a message basically warning them to be cautious of their uh, speed and cargo temperature and we get this like display screen that comes up and it's it's clearly it's a it's a heat gauge of some kind and it, and it's all green so good to know that our cargo is not about to about to burst. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mando finally breaks his silence with, uh, don't worry about the radonium. As long as you drive steady, you'll get us to the refinery. 
Exactly. Uh, this whole scene is like that Vietnam War movie. Yeah, exactly. Like driving down jungle roads, trying not to upset your load, you know, and we head into a small hamlet. Pa- uh, right down to there's a lady crosses the street and she's got like, it's almost like, I don't want to say a bucket of like rice, a, but she's got a, th- she's no, balancing like a, a thing bowl. on her head. 100%. I think yeah. they even say a, like a rice bowl in the descriptive audio. Yeah. So yeah. Or a bowl at least. Uh, and they have to honk the horn to get the people out oh, of the way. Oh, big like, time, yeah. don't care. Like, there's a lot of apathy. Oh, big time. Uh, he locks eyes with that kid. And it's very, that's a really good moment because the kid can't, he's just, he's like, you know, like leering at the, at the cargo vessel. Yeah. But Din sees himself there. Oh, big time. And I think, you know, that's why that kid has the uh, the brown eyes and the brown hair. Brown yeah, eyes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, and so I think that's, that's really like, there's a lot of changes happening for him in this episode. Yeah. And that kid is played by Tahoe DeVito from Colony. I'm not familiar with that. I am not either. Okay. Well, for anybody Colony's who's a pretty neat show. Colony fan, there you go. Yes, neat show. So it's, it's at that time. So now we, as we've, we've come to the conclusion that, oh, now this is really evocative of that Vietnam uh, war movie sort of vibe. This is where Mayfeld starts getting into what I've called his philosophy on on war, war and choice, comparing the Mandalorian civil wars to the rule of the empire and questioning how are they any different. And he punctuates it a couple of different ways about, you know, did they have a choice? Did those people who fought in those wars, did they have a choice? And then he's like, you know, someone, uh, he, he kind of finishes it with someone rules and others are ruled. You know, where we see like, oh, there's a chink in Mayfeld's armor and that there's a there's a real human being in there. Yeah. He says uh, New Republic or Empire. These people don't care about that's that. right. Yeah. We're just invaders on their land. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there to me, that's like, oh, yeah. So whether it was the the NVA or the Americans to the right. to the villagers, same thing, different day. Didn't matter. Yeah, Didn't exactly. Matter. Their freedom was being oppressed. And and so this also really digs into, you know, the belief system in the whole yes. show. This is the and first we get real perspective change here because now we're our heroes are being vilified. Yeah. And this is the first instance of what I call the metaphorical mirror. Yes. Because M- Mando's uh, immediately he's like let's get one thing straight. You and I are nothing alike. When really He's saying that for his benefit, not for Mayfeld's. It's the same, mm-hmm. you know, he's talked out loud to convince himself of things that he's not sure of before. And this is another example of that, of like being forced to look at himself through the lens of somebody else. No, agreed. And then there's a really interesting piece of stuff here that I, I, I probably overanalyzed these few lines way too much last night. But he says, you know, uh, if you're from Mandalore, you believe one thing. Yep. If you're from Alderaan, you believe another thing. But none of those, neither of those places exist anymore. Yeah. So what does it matter? And though, so Mandalore doesn't exist anymore. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We know, and he mentions it in the same breath with Alderaan, which is very telling. Yeah. Alderaan, we all know famously, is gone. Yeah, like Death Star. Death like, Star gone. Like, like public knowledge gone. Triple right? reactor ignition. <laughs> exactly. And so we have three things here that different factions if you will believe in about mandalore we have dinjarin and therefore the the cult religious cult upbringing of yep. the mandalorians yep. believe that it's uninhabitable by some crazy 
imperial magic, if you will. Yeah. You know, he's hey, it's you go there and you die. That's then right. there's the real Mandalorians, Bo-Katan, who's the heiress, yep. who believes someday she can go back there and rule. That's right. And then there's ex-imperial or imperial remnants who are told Mandalore is gone, destroyed like Alderaan. Yeah. Where? What's the truth there? And I think that's very compelling. Those little lines, Mandalore being gone in the same breath as Alderaan being gone, may lend some credibility to what we were talking about before, that maybe the Death Star did a number on it. Well, yeah, exactly. A single reactor ignition a la Jeddah City would definitely bring a a planet to heal. And then it would be very easy for the Imperials to, you know, as we've seen before, manipulate official records and and change history that way. And it's it's funny. The littlest things make your mouth water. They really do. Yeah. Big, big, big one. I like that he he points out about, again, talking about the rules. And he makes a point of distinction about, you know, the rules change based on the situation. And he's like, you know, you can't take off your helmet until things get really hot and then you do. And he's like, listen, there's a difference between taking your helmet off and showing your face, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, he literally the line is, uh, yeah, no, that's exactly the line. <laughs> yeah. And it... it he understands better than Mando does in that moment that there is a difference between that. So what, what, what do you actually believe in? Because everybody gets desperate. I feel like that line leaves your question when uh, you're put on the spot like that. Looking back at the metaphorical mirror, that line about taking your helmet off versus showing your face is almost allegorical. Uh, when we talked about Bo-Katan, when she, when she gave Din Djarin the, the, the tributary, this is the way I had said that, you know, maybe what she's really saying is there is another way. And I feel like Mayfeld's line of, of dialogue about taking the helmet off is a, is again, it's an allegory for the, what Bo-Katan has already told him that there's another way. So I was going to try to save this for the end of the episode, but I simply can't. Oh, okay. Fair enough. He hasn't said this is the way since the Bo-Katan episode. Yeah. Not once said it in every single episode up until then. Interesting. I never picked up on that. So that's yes, that's an interesting... Episode 11 was the last time he said the words. And I think the last time the words were said were actually Bo-Katan. Yeah, really. That lends so much weight to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. To his evolution as a uh, uh, as a character. Uh, and so the believer is Din Djarin. Yeah, but for sure. What does he believe in? It's, it's, it's about the believer, but not what's believed. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That makes it easier for me because his beliefs are being questioned at every turn. He's being he's having revelations every 30 seconds in this episode. Yeah, and I mean we we kind of we've dug down on this for quite a few episodes on sort of the 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 transitory nature of of his characterization going from surrogate protector to father figure and we've made that conclusion that he's come, you know, he's fully made that transition, but this may be the this may be the episode where it's acceptance for him. And I also feel it's such a bold choice for the writing team. Yeah. The creative team to abandon the tagline. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. the entire show. Because that's their marketing tool. This is the way is on everything. If he ever makes contact with another covert of the children of the watch, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out, how they interact yeah. with each other. If there would be a, this is the way, or, you know, if it would just be left at something else, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> there has been no way specific. For yeah. Four episodes. Yeah. 
This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit CollectorsPlatoon.ca today. You're listening to Fandom Power. Interestingly enough, we get another break in the comm at this point, and there's a situation report about what they call an, there may be some interference. And no sooner do they say the words interference, there's like the, the, the tone changes. There's some panic. We hear a couple of blaster shots, and then there's this massive explosion through the window of the, the, the cab of the truck. And uh, it's like, holy shit. And then immediately after that, a second explosion. So now we get this. Mayfield steers around the second. Oh, yeah, explosion. he does. He drives around yeah. the explosion. Got some chops. I'm coming around. At this point, we get uh, we get this scene where our, one of the big action set pieces, uh, sequences of the episode, and we get this uh, pirate attack. So the pirates uh, we, uh, roll up on these skiffs. And the skiffs are kind they're really, it's like a hybrid, kind of reminded me a bit of like the skiffs that they stole uh, in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Mm. Kind of mashed together with like the the design aesthetic of Enfys Nest's swoop gang with yeah, the, with the big single, fins. They show the shots from behind. They have a sort of single engine off to the left-hand side. Yeah. They're mashing a few things together there. It's real cool. They Definitely the, the Elerons at the front remind you of Jabba's skiffs. They do. I spent a lot of time on this because it just it was getting and we talked about it quite a bit last night. The pirates themselves. So not sure if it's the first time in the show's history, but it's the first time that I can think of that we've noted. Um, We're introduced to a brand new alien species that we've never seen before. And And just before you found that, I was I was (laughs) I was I was resigned to the fact that this is the first time that we've been stumped. I you know what? I wasn't going to bed until we had an answer. And uh, I worked on it. What I don't know what time I sent that message, but it was like, it was after nine, I think. I got it this morning. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. So it was after nine Eastern time when I sent it, but it was, uh, yeah. So the aliens, I'm like, they've got like the, they're not horns, but they're not really head tails as much as they're like growing out of their face. These kind of bulbous, long protrusions. Anyway, the the turns out that they are called the Shy Dop, and we don't know anything about them. Don't know where they're from. Don't know a thing about them, other than the uh, the rabbit hole. I found a reference. It was on uh, RogerEbert.com, and RogerEbert.com was the only outlet that had reported on the name of the species. And I'm like, okay, wow. and it was the official photo. The photo caption actually had the name Shydop in it. So I did a reverse image on the photo and that took me back to the Disney 
uh, Disney's own media website. Oh, and it crazy. and it had yeah it had the official photo with the photo caption and it's like yeah shut up pirates I'm like okay we're gonna have to start frequenting that yeah so um, I sent it over to both of you uh, to bookmark for your own research purposes Quick. so now I don't have to I don't have to go and steal photos anymore when I want to do a a, a social media post <laughs> so before we get into the like the serious action here because this is an amazing scene yeah it really like, is the train is always amazing um, ostensibly. Um, this is another thing that talks about the believer. Yeah. What you believe in as the viewer now. Yeah. Um, these are ostensibly, so these guys aren't trying to loot this, right? They're not trying to steal the Rhydonian. No, they're just trying to stop it. They're trying to destroy it because yeah. they know what the empire will do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so these are the good guys. Yeah. It's almost like they're the, uh, uh, um, these are the Bothan spies, bro. These yeah. Yeah. These are, you know what I mean? In the, um, in the, in the Vietnam allegory, it's the, uh, it's the, oh my Lord. What are the, the, the side that fought with the Americans? Oh, the, uh, the NVA. Is that it? The NVA? Am I getting my terms wrong? I thought the NVA was the bad guy. Oh, Arvin, the Arvin. The Arvin. Yeah. That's it. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yes. these would be, the, you know, the equivalent of the Arvin, except just not as well equipped apparently. Well, and, and, and yeah, exactly. Well, everybody's got a thermal detonator. Well, I um, laughed at that. We've, <laughs> we've got, we've got, you know, the, the both ends of the spectrum on one end, we're armed with spears, spears. but everybody's got at least one thermal detonator. Well, they yeah, spent yeah, all yeah. their money on thermal detonators and couldn't afford anything other well, than skip, <laughs> skip fuel. Yeah. Well, this is it. It's like, if you've been doing this for a while, you can't tell me that these guys didn't scavenge a blaster for here or there. But anyway, I digress on that. Yeah. I think it's just really t- like the whole thing, like we'll get into the details of it, but the whole thing is, is, a, is, a, is a role reversal because now ostensibly our heroes are Imperials trying to That's right. safely get this fuel to the depot. Yep. And the bad guys are the rebels trying to stop them from getting the fuel so that they can wreak havoc on the galaxy. It's right. crazy. It's crazy juxtaposition of, of what do you believe? What's your perspective? What is what here in the galaxy? Yeah. And I think yeah, that's yeah. what the whole episode is about is, is the perspective. Yep, it is. And we get it. We get several perspectives. And like you say, from our initial thoughts, like we get several metaphorical perspectives from several characters across this episode so yeah, I mean it's all starting to come together now. Yeah, they do they really do start to solidify by the end. Yeah. So they they start trying to board the transport and and like you say, it's the we're going back to the western theme, it's the fight on top of the train and mm-hmm. uh, these guys are trying to like pop the uh, storage containers so they can get at the Rhydonium containers and they want to drop a thermal detonator in there and like you say, blow it up and and get rid of it. Now Mando's at his, you know, uh, his own devices starts blasting them, blasts a couple guys off the side, and uh, we get a flash on the display, and it's now very red. And the Orbesh translates as, uh, "No surprise here, warning, warning." <laughs> so they try to plant a thermal detonator on the Rhydonium, uh, but Mando shoots the pirate off, and his detonator explodes, taking the first pirate skiff with it. So that's very convenient. But two more uh, pirate skiffs pull up. Uh, Mando tries to hold them off uh, with his pistol, but the pistol jams. So up he goes up onto the roof, and it becomes this big 
and I didn't I didn't lay out all of the beats of the fight because it's so it's a very long sequence, but it's like this huge hand to hand mando to pirate spear to as the descript the descriptive audio lady I got the big laugh this week when she said uh puts up his dukes. <laughs> puts up his dukes. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, yeah. there's some really good beats in this. I got most of them, but there's for me, like the first hand-to-hand interaction is he's back turned to the majority of them dealing with one, and a guy takes his spear and smashes him in the shoulder, destroying, around, shatters that pauldron, shatters the shoulder plate. Yeah, and then he turns around to engage, and the guy swings the spear again, and he block this like the classic sort of karate block. Yeah, where his his beskar bracer would be. That's right. So he's all training. He's all body memory. Yeah, and it shatters on his arm, and he takes a blow there. It's the first oh, yeah. time you really think, oh, he's he's sort of hurt in that moment. I think that's the I'm, big takeaway from that whole sequence is that yeah. he's been you know encapsulated in in beskar his whole his whole uh, bounty hunter career, mm-hmm. and there's a there's an inherent reliance there that suddenly. You know, with you know, what's Batman without his bag of tricks, right? He's just a detective, and so what's Mando without his armor? He's just a highly skilled guy. But you know, as you say, the muscle memory and the training—he's taken a beating for the first time, like we've never seen before. And you sort of start to see that his much of his technique relies upon the best. Yeah, it does. The headbutts and the ability to take a blaster shot to get yeah. a better shot at your enemy—it it very much like he takes a shot from a spear off this helmet. Yep. And it rocks him a little. Yeah, it's fantastic. And um, just, you know, I don't know if the actors were doing it on purpose or if that actual contraption was moving, but they're all, they're off balance while they're fighting. And, you know, it's as, kind of, it's, it's real cool. As far as Western train fights go, I found it to be as good as anything I've seen before. Maybe, and I don't know if it's, I say maybe even better, but I'm not sure if it's because I'm just, you know, I'm part of the built-in fan base who loves Star Wars. Like, yeah, but, I had a real uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade vibe, yeah. especially when the one guy gets knocked off and goes under the wheel. Oh, the yeah, the boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the I got guy. that kind of vibe, too. And again, that's reversed because, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not the bad guys trying did, to mount the, the tank. Did he just went under the tires? Did either of you get the sense that when that first guy, uh, when Mando flipped him, forward over the cab of the the transport and he slid down the windshield and Mayfeld kind of watched him go did anybody get the sense that when he fell off the front of the truck that Mayfeld kind of aimed a little bit to make sure he got him with the wheels I didn't notice that but maybe. I kind of feel like he did <laughs> Any more you want to you want to talk about the fight sequence Oh it was just I mean they just kept coming there's a, there's a at the end essentially at the end Yeah uh, after he uh, they do manage to plant one of the detonators and he runs up to the, grabs it and throws it, blows up two of the skiffs and the explosion throws him way back. It's a yeah. really cool scene. They must have j- yanked him back on wires. Uh, and he's sitting there on one elbow, breathing really heavy. Like, yeah. And then out of the explosion, two more skiffs. More come. skiffs. That's the scene when the, the, he stands up and it's very similar to the, uh, the mud horn. Where he puts his yeah. hands up and and he's this is it he, he's resigned over. to they, they, every single one of them because they pan back on the shot and every single one of them has a thermal detonator now and he sees it and he he his shoulders shrug he sighs yeah he puts his hands up like this guy's gonna fight to the last if I'm part. going down I'm going down swinging yeah and then we get our apocalypse now moment which is really cool like 
you, I never would. It makes sense on some level, but then you get so you hear it. There's this, you know, blast that impacts the road in front of them, and you hear the classic howl of of uh, twin ion engines <laughs> and a pair of Tie Fighters uh, streak by, strafing, uh, strafing the road, ostensibly taking out the skiffs. And, uh, you know, it's this triumphant, like, yes, as they they literally just got rescued by the Empire. And you, it, it's it's Mayfield that does the yeah. Yeah. And it's like a very Han Solo kind of thing to do. And and so it solidifies the perspective shift because yep. now the cavalry is TIE fighters might be the first time we've ever cheered for TIE fighters. You know, I know there's a I lot think of, so. Yeah. Well, Mayfield you know I mean? throws out that line. Never they thought do I'd the be... hero pass. Yeah, the Tide Fighters didn't even do the hero pass on Kara and Fennec. Yeah, the flyby that was I love like, that. Just like the X Wings do in a Rise, uh, Force Awakens. That's right. On Finn, like, woohoo! Yeah, it's that scene all over again. Only juxtaposed. It's the inverse. Oh, for sure it is. It blurs like what is what? People are just people. That stormtrooper has to go home tonight and eat. That's right. At the end of the day. And speaking of stormtroopers, we see that, you know, as they roll up on the front gate, the platoons worth of a uh, mixed complement too of shore troopers and stormtroopers are are just barreling down that rickety rusted out bridge and they unload on the remaining pirates who have now are pursuing on foot. Uh, it's funny there's a scene there where one of them throws a thermal detonator but it doesn't go off. Yeah, I'm like, did that guy just throw a rock? <laughs> Did he just, just throw right. a rock? Maybe it was a rock. You're right. It could be a rock. Desperate. They uh, they charge to the last. I dropped my spear. I'll throw this rock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I did spot then, that. Yeah. All right. So there's this moment where they finally. Yeah, uh, and all the troops are lining up and you get. Yeah. The, the, the big salute moment and everybody's cheering and we get inside the hangar and it's more of the same and. It's pats on the back, and yeah. The one negative thing I'll say about Bill Burr in the whole episode, the one negative thing I will say about him is he gives a slack-ass salute. <laughs> That's fair enough. Listen, if we're going to talk about salutes, do you want to? <laughs> do Do you really want me to go back and point out that there's a sequence uh, or a shot when they're pulling up to the door where everybody's saluting with their left hand? Yes, sir. I yeah, there was a yeah. left hand. There's a left-handed salute there by <laughs> yeah. like a bunch of guys. I'm like, oh. Okay, the Empire salutes with their left hand. Yeah. And then the next well, they, scene, they're all saluting with their right hand. I'm like, no. Well, no because, because it was on Opus truck, if you notice. So they're, they're all like the opposing for, opposing arms saluting the truck on either side. It's actually. I'll have to go yeah, back and watch it again because I, I could have swore it was a left-handed salute. And it may feel with the big curved hand. Oh, I know. Like, you know, I know. <laughs> never saluted anyone in his life. Yeah, really. <laughs> awesome. They get inside, they have the celebratory moment, and it's back to business, and okay, let's find the terminal. Conveniently, as Mayfeld points out, it's probably in the officer's mess. So they're just like, okay, let's go. They make their way over to the officer's mess, and they, sure enough, they see the terminal, and uh, Mayfeld's like, he's up the stairs, he's, you know, two-thirds committed, and suddenly he's like, nope, does a 180 and walks right back out again. And it's like, well, what's wrong? He's like, I can't go in there. He's like, it's Valen Hess. And he's like, what? He's like, it's Valen Hess. It's a guy that I served under. So there's a, there's some exposition about, did he make you? He's like, I don't know. He's like, but I, I don't want to take the chance. He's like, I'm sorry. It's, it's we got to abort. It's over. And then uh, Mando's not like, not an option. Yeah, it's not. A, he stops him. It's not an option. If we don't do this, I'll lose the kid forever. Mm-hmm. So he, 
he's like, give me the, give me the stick. And so Mando takes the stick and he, he heads off. Like he's going to do the deal himself. And it's like, I'm watching this whole thing and I'm like, there's no way that he's okay. There's every way that he's going to do this, but you're, you're watching him and it's this, like, I can't believe this is about to happen. Yeah. It's he's yeah. It's, it's, it's him coming full circle. It's, it's exactly what the whole, the, the mirror thing you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. The, the, the meta- whole thing has been building to this since Bo-Katan took her helmet off. Yeah. The metaphorical mirror comes, comes full circle once That's again, the moment that changes everything when Bo-Katan takes her helmet off, explains her legitimacy and he, he accepts it. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's definitely accepting now. Um, uh, but I had still... trouble with it at first. Absolutely. But, uh, success, you know, no, it, it really works. And there's, there's some other, well, it'll come up in a minute, but yeah, let's get to the console. He does. Yeah. So steps up to the console, uh, slaps the data stick in and starts to manipulate it. And we get the, uh, cross hatched facial scan goes up and down the helmet. And, uh, on the, the readout, we get, uh, some more Orabesh this week. And it's uh, what's the first one here? It's ID scan required. Mm-hmm. And as it reads off his helmet, it it gets a false reading. It can't pick Access up anything. Denied. Yeah, Access denied. And then there's like this alarm tone and this computer voice, you know, says facial scan incomplete. Ten seconds to system shutdown. Like that seems extreme, doesn't it? <laughs> like you put the wrong password in too many times and it's about to lock you out of your account. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I wonder, is There's that also something, it's something else I don't understand about this. Like if it's an ID scanner, it yep. doesn't seem to scan your ID. It just seems to confirm that you're human. Yeah. That's the thing. So is it part of the xenophobic nature of the empire? Maybe. I always maybe assumed. Wouldn't scan Thrawn. I'm going to go back to the have problem with to this. the role-playing game for a second. And uh, we've already seen them. They've already used it. Let's talk about code cylinders for a second here. Sure. W- wasn't that one of the one of the functions of a code cylinder? Was it it, it was a, basically an identity thing, right? Because it was tied to your clearance level. Yeah, I believe so. Like, yeah, like you could insert your code cylinder, and that would be how you got past all the yeah right top secret. You couldn't access it. It's just like a, a key with your like a fob key with your credentials huh? You're, exactly and, and in that sense i just assumed until i heard data stick to me i'm like oh he's got a code cylinder it's going to be a done deal you know uh, but again we have to we have to get him to take his helmet off and this is the way that they chose to do it so but it it creates a it creates an another interesting thing in the sense that we already know that the isb or at least at moff gideon's level they already know who din Djarin is but yes. now he's taken his helmet off. So now there's a there's a scan of his face on record now for anybody and everybody. Yes. Not not just select operatives of whatever clearance. So I think it makes it, you know, he's just kind of doubled down on the, you know, everybody and their dog is going to be chasing me. He just came above water for the first time in his whole life. Right. And I can totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So gets the helmet off, which is funny. There's a little inconsistency here because as soon as the helmet's off, we get a, a like a two second, second and a half shot of the screen. And I didn't know if you noticed this, but it's like access granted. Yes. And then it changes to the. Uh, access it required. Goes, yeah, it goes back to ID scan required. Mm-hmm. 
Then there's a, a countdown and the message then finally bloop, flips back over to access granted. So That's right. a little inconsistency there, but nothing that really takes away from the impact of the of the scene. Uh, finally, breaking into the computer, we get sort of some sub uh, headings off to the side. And I think yes. they're uh, Andy, you've got them there, don't you? I do. Uh, top line is database, followed by equipment, personnel, transport, armory and S forces. I assume special forces. I would think so. Yep. Makes sense Absolutely. to me. Mando inserts the data stick and the display changes to a schematic uh, of an Architens light cruiser. And there's a whole bunch more Oribesh on that one. Did you pull that out, Hank? Just that it uh, it said it was a a cruiser. It didn't say the class. Uh, yeah. It did say class and four numbers that I, were too blurry for me to uh, establish. Uh, and then the word under underneath, and I think you guys both got this or, <laughs> or either side of it. Uh, light speed cruiser. And the way I interpreted that one was just that that was the capability of this cruiser. And I know you guys sort of had different. Perhaps it was at light speed it, or in real space or. Well, I'll tell you what I did, and it's kind of silly, but at the same time, I, for a second, I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then it's like, no, dummy, you're just reading it wrong. I actually, <laughs> because of the Oribesh language, if you haven't looked at the Oribesh alphabet, it's kind of a, it's a hodgepodge of like sort of uh, runic hieroglyphic style symbols. Take a look at it and just kind of see what it looks like, because the the letter R and the letter D very are so similar. It's like the number seven, but the one has a little, line. little schnibby kind of the poking D out the middle. Like a, yeah, it's like a D. So I'm like, that's an R. What? Light Spear? Is that the name of his ship? The Light Spear? But it's spelt wrong. It's got to be. Is it a typo? No, dummy. It's a D, not an R. It's Light Speed. <laughs> so that was my flub this week. Anyway. There's some coordinates uh, there, and I think I I think I've got them here. Uh, not that it matters, but four five eight nine four four eight 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 one sector eighty seven eighty seven eighty seven. Yeah. That's right. Nice. And when I look at the two galactic maps, that puts me in the sector, the same sector as Mimbon. Yeah. And the same sector as Hut Space, Nelhuda, Narshadar, that area. Oh, cool. I lay the two maps over, and I yeah. don't know if they track, but. I don't know either, but I mean, the, they've been very good for the most part. There's been some really good consistency across sort of the franchise, across oh, the, the sources. So no reason to, you know, presume that they're not consistent until we see something that says otherwise. But No, certainly. So at this point, the Imperial officer, Valen Hess, that prevented Mayfeld from going into the mess has really taken notice of you know sort of mando kind of lingering at the terminal you watch the background he's watching the yeah whole he's time. been watching the whole time and now he's really interested in what's going on over there so he hey, trooper yeah hey trooper and of course mando's like i just need to finish what i'm doing i just need to finish what i'm doing and he kind of ignores him but like Hess is really insistent to the point where he admonishes yeah, actually, him pay attention when a superior doesn't understand the protocol oh yeah he's like what the hell do i do <laughs> But he's What's like, your designation? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't understand. Um, I'm, a, I'm a transport driver. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it reminded me of the scene from Half Baked where uh, Dave Chappelle's playing a Jamaican guy and he's talking to another Jamaican guy and he says, what, what part of Jamaica are you from? And he says, uh, by the beach. <laughs> <laughs> by the beach. So yeah, what's your TK number? And he's like, my, my TK number? Uh, uh, uh. 
And then to the rescue, which I, you know, you, you kind of knew, like he had to do something, but you just didn't expect it. Like it wasn't, you didn't think it was part of his characterization. Mayfeld, no. Mayfeld steps in and that, you know, he even said, you know, I might be a fast talker and he proves it here. He's like, oh yeah, it's uh it's my commanding officer. It's a TK five, nine, three. I'm a TK one, one, one Lieutenant, whatever Lieutenant. the hell. Yep. Lieutenant. Yeah. Armored transport. Uh, yeah. Yeah, one, yeah. One, one. I don't even know if that's right. But then he says the best thing for me. This is such a neat little dip. Um, oh, he can't hear you properly. because yeah. He got depressurized at the Battle of Tanab. Yeah. And and he totally butchered this. The pronunciation of it. Pronunciation. He totally. Tanab. He, well, he, butchers, he butchers the pronunciation of Alderaan early in the episode. And I just sort of stepped over that. He does do that to Alderaan or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. And then so if everybody doesn't know. Oh, that Battle of Tanab is just sort of referenced in Return of the Jedi when Lando is asked to run the Death Star mission and, and says, uh, uh, somebody must have told him about my little maneuver at the at Battle, Battle of Tanab. Tanab yeah. Fantastic. Which, which presumably is the the operation that he went on that got him promoted to general. Mm-hmm. So they, he tries to make some small talk. He tries to to basically bluff his way out and and leave. And uh, he throws out this this line here, and I, I just I howled. I actually had to pause the the episode because I was laughing so hard. He's like, "Come on, let's go file those TPS reports." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you if you've never seen Office Space, the film Office Space, oh my god, you you must see this movie. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, TPS reports is a is a funny throwback to that movie. I'm I'm gonna need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday. Okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the brown eyes thing. Let's talk about the whole brown eyes thing. I I asked Andy on the way in today because I just I wasn't sure. I didn't put it in my notes, but it's been bugging me. Is it is this a Planet of the Apes reference? Ooh. Brown eyes, blue eyes. Maybe I don't. Because he's, Maybe. you know, when uh, when uh, Doctor, oh my lord, what's the doctor's Dr. name? Doctor Zayas. Yeah, so when Doctor Zayas is, is talking to him, Charlton Heston, Charlton Heston's character, and he's just completely, you know, he's completely silent. He just doesn't he doesn't answer them. It's not so that he can't, and it's the same thing with Mando. It's not that he can't answer them. He just doesn't know what to say. Right. So I'm like, is this a is this a Planet of the Apes kind of reference? I don't really know. Maybe. Lauren points out here that when you watch um, Pedro act in these scenes with his helmet off, that yeah. he's exaggerating what he's doing with his face. Oh, yeah. She, she points out that, like, his eyes are really big. Like Yeah. I saw that, too. As an awkward person growing up, she sometimes didn't feel like she knew what she was doing with her mouth or her eyes and thought she was being weird around people. So he's he's actually doing a tremendous job like he's he's overacting the scenes because he doesn't know how to react like he reacts in complete autonomy all that's the right time. so it's really really neat if you focus on rewatch it and focus on that it's kind of cool actually yeah he yeah uh, you know he gives him a little no no don't, a little head shake there. yeah yeah like, exactly no 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 <laughs> i'm just i really don't know what to do but you're here now so i'm just gonna stay as quiet as i can and you can just keep talking there bilber <laughs> you're not dismissed yes you're not dismissed let's get drink valen hess do you have the do you have the actor there I, I do you do so valen hess played by richard brake richard brake so if you're not familiar with his work uh, most recently, maybe most high profile, he was the Night King in Game yes, of sir. Thrones. 
Also awesome. in Ray cool. Donovan and Grimm. Yes. Uh, and I have to say, like, his whole his whole thing, like, the, the next part that we're going to get into with his sitting at the table, like, what's the term we use in Star Wars? Scum and villainy? Yeah. He really, really lives up to that whole idea of, like, oh, you're you're one of those guys who get off on it, you know, whatever yeah, it he's is. He's a believer, too. Oh, my God, is he ever. He's yeah. a huge believer. Yeah. yeah, he's a believer, too. So they sit down at the table. And, uh, you know, they, he invites them to drink and they want to celebrate because they're the only Rhydonium transport that made it through that day. So, you know, let's, let's get a drink, a celebratory drink. We get a quick cut to Kara and Fennec on the That's roof. That's right. For me, this is neat because they, they're scanning with their sniper rifles. Yes. And we get the Imperial Gunners from yep. the original, from the, the final 17 Kenner figures. Yep. Awesome, awesome little nod to those guys who are super obscure action figure. I quite, I quite like the fact that they actually went out of their way to use actual gunnery, uh, an actual gunnery troop, and not just throw a stormtrooper at it. Yeah, that yeah. gun, that gunnery is its a specialized enough job that it's its own thing. I like that they that they did that. The devil's in the details, and and it's amazing. I mean, yeah, yeah. So. Back inside the mess hall, it's like, what should we drink to? You know, uh, Hess makes, you know, he's all about drinking to all that. I think there's a word he uses. It's less, I, I like to use something less rote than drink to your health or drink to uh, the future. Yeah, like exactly. Less rote. And then he asks, he says, brown eyes, where are you from? So right. going to talk to the guy's home planet or something, you know, that you sort of lead that sort of thinking yeah, and then there's more of that, like, the fast eye movement, like, uh, 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 what do I do? He begins to say this, just like he did with the TK number. I'm TK, and he's about to, you know, yeah. he's not a fast talker. He's a punch no. in the mouth kind of guy, right? Once again, to the yeah, again. steps up. Steps up with, uh, hey, let's, uh, why don't we toast to Operation Cinder? Oh, huge drop. So, so if yeah. you guys didn't play the Battlefront 2 first-person uh, game, the, the story mode, Operation Cinder is exactly what the Emperor leaves behind for all his operatives when he dies. And it's the robot that comes and it's got Palpatine's face in the message and it, it tells them what, you know, do this, go here, you do this, you do that. I have a line. Operation Cinder and we're going to destroy. I have a line on uh, on it and, and you can fill in the blanks, Hank, but it kind of goes mm-hmm. like this. Like Operation Cinder is the Emperor's final posthumous order to eliminate key imperial personnel using weather satellites to cause electrical storms and other catastrophic weather events should he die and it is the catalyst to to rebuild the empire in the unknown regions it's like an extra level of purge yeah he was uh they like as they were pulling back it's the scorched earth if you will or the blitzkrieg as they're pulling back, they're they're destroying everything. They're destroying bases, infrastructure, their own troops. They're salting worlds, if you will. I got the impression that, given what we know of the emperor, that the I think the 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 thing for me was key personnel because the emperor, you know, being the the person that he is, and now we're talking Battlefront Two is in the Disney era of Star Wars, so you have to tell him on some level. You know, they're already leaning towards, you know, the next, his, his next manipulation, right? So knowing that he's going to come back, it would only make sense that he would want to take out, 
he would have had a line on anybody that was a seditionist. And so, yeah, why wouldn't you want to take them out if your ultimate goal was I'm coming back and I just don't need you as a thorn in my side? Maybe leading back to your your point from the last episode is that Thrawn is in escrow, if you will. He's yeah. out in the ether, so yep. he's not ostensibly one of the people that gets cindered. Right. <laughs> he doesn't get cindered. cindered. Yeah, I thought that was a nice deep cut. And the the officer has even says, "There's a man who knows his history." Knows his history, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's more exposition here, and and Mayfeld goes like deep into like his own psyche, and like I. You know, as somebody uh, as somebody who has post traumatic stress, like he just he literally just put the can opener in there and spun the wheel. Like here you go, and talks about you know what it was like. We lost a lot of people that day. We lost a whole division. That's like what five ten thousand people. He stops. Yeah, you destroyed a city that day. And yeah, burning. I was at Burning Con. Burning Con. Yep. Burning Con and. You know, they were all heroes of the empire. You get all this rhetoric, but he's not talking to him like he's an officer anymore. His everything's no, changed. yeah, like he's he's talking he's to back him like in his seat. he's you know. But and then and here's where I have to almost take a lot of things back I've ever said about Bill Burr because he's got some acting chops here because he starts to tear up. Yeah, the more that this guy is being a piece of shit, the yeah. more he you could see him accessing something in his real life. Oh, yeah. that has really hurt him. I have to imagine what it was like to be a soldier on the ground as these things are happening around you and you're you're powerless to do anything about it. We're certainly you know? bringing this perspective change completely locking it into place now. Yeah. That that there are living, breathing, feeling, thinking, loving beings on both sides of all conflicts. Yeah, exactly. And and that that ostensibly in war there's nobody. Um, yeah, the war is hell speech. Right. Yeah, Hesse Hesse says, um, like you'd said, he he, uh, says that all heroes of the Empire and it was all for the greater good. And Mayfeld's response to that is, well, it depends on who you ask. Was it good for them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The civilians, the mud scuffers that died. So then there's there's a moment where it's almost like... It's the it's the flip side of the same coin where where Mayfeld had said, you know, there there are rulers and there are those who ruled. And now you flash forward to where we are now in the episode and you've got this like this vile uh, character Hess where he's like, you know, they say they want freedom, but what they really want is order. And is that yes. foreshadowing or what? Well, to me, it's definitely it, I actually said it's a uh, everybody says they want. They want freedom, but what they really want is order. And I, I wrote that it's a, it's a bit of a double entendre because, yeah, people want like governance and order, but you can't tell me that that's not a foreshadowing to the first order. Yeah, absolutely. Talks about yeah. the, you know, the Rhydonium, uh, in terms of what they're going to do with it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, he says, you know, we're going to use the Rhydonium to wreak havoc and it'll make Burning Con pale by comparison. And you can see the hurt. Oh, yeah. The hurt in uh, Mayfeld's eyes. He actually, like, he kind of, like, looks away and kind of looks at his, looks down at, you know, at his chest or at his lap or whatever. And you can see the gears are turning, like. Yeah. He's about to go over the edge, and then Hess says, long live the Empire. Oh, yeah. And Mayfeld jumps. Yeah. Big time. The whole scene had a really similar feel to the drinking scene in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good call, actually. I felt and that... And then even more so, uh, Hess, his character, I felt he kind of played him kind of like David Carradine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In 
in Kill Bill. You know, that arrogance, superiority, and... I don't think that... But more scum. For my sensibilities, mm-hmm. I don't think we've had a more tense scene where it's pure dialogue. You know, I've I've never felt tension like that in the show yet, as I did watching that scene play out. And I was just like... I'm like I'm on the edge of my seat on bated breath throughout this whole thing because it's like oh my god, you can almost you can visually you can watch see. him getting wound up. Yeah, oh yeah, I've worked with lots of people who carry issues that are similar like that. I carry some mm-hmm. of those myself. So mm-hmm. again, as a metaphorical mirror, you know, for me as a as a viewer, I'm on some ways looking at at myself. You know, so oh, I really really related to this uh, and related to his character in this. In classic uh, Vietnam vernacular, he uh, frags the officer. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, draws down on him from the table. Quick draws, puts a brown through his chest. Mando just looks at him like, what? <laughs> and then we get this shot of the shore trooper who's carrying his like tray with his drink Jolts on his it. Tray. Yeah, normalizing <laughs> everything. Everything is being yeah. normalized here. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And he leans back, you know, cross chest uh, puts uh, puts him down, and then all chaos breaks loose. And between the two of them, they Execute essentially, three officers yeah, in a row. And they're just sitting there having lunch. Yeah, clear the room, and then there's a couple seconds where we get a, a moment to breathe. And 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 Mayfeld, I mean, if he was, he sends it home in this scene where he's like, hands him the helmet, respectfully looks away, and he's like, listen, you did, we did what we had to do. I never saw your face and then averts his gaze yes. to allow him to compose himself. Yes. Uh, Mando, I mean, mm-hmm. which I, that solidified it for me that, you know, um, as much as we've watched Mando evolve over the course of two seasons, we just had like that level of evolution in one episode with this character. Yes. No, it's very yeah. true. It's very true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've, so I've even said I didn't want to like Mayfield, but this whole sequence makes him way more than the throwaway character that I thought he was back in season one. Certainly. Uh, it's like every side character we meet on Mando's journey is a metaphorical mirror for Mando. They all spark some challenging ideas and they've caused Mando to reflect on who he is. And now the mess gets rushed by troopers as there's an alarm going off, directing everybody to the mess, and they've got to blast their way out. Fortunately, the louvered windows kind of border on the the waterfall nice they they boot their way out onto a small ledge and start making their way uh and it's another run and gun sequence trying to get up to the rooftop but as you say they got some sniper support hell of a sniper support i don't think a yeah shot missed it. and no. that initial scene has a really uh really reminiscent feel to the fugitive with you know oh, harrison yeah, ford yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the, uh, you know, the shore troopers, you know, they give chase and they're right out there on the ledge with them, you know, which is kind of cool. Makes for a cool little action sequence where when they're getting picked off and watch them uh, down the waterfall. Yeah. We get a uh, shot down uh, Kara's uh, scope and there's some Arabesh there, Andy. There is. Uh, Her scope has three settings, safe, semi and stun. Nice. So I find that kind of funny because she's still carrying, it's the same rifle that she pulled. I guess it's not really a rifle. It's actually, isn't it a machine gun? It is. I have it right here. Yeah. And it's a double, double can canister magazine. It's the oh, same yeah. one that she was using before where she was like unloading. It has two barrels. 
Yeah. Anyway, now it's uh now it's also uh has a semi-automatic setting. <laughs> That's convenient. Yeah. And it's totally different too. Like they they actually make a distinction between uh Fenix Blaster and and uh Kara's Blaster. Like there's a tonal difference there even though they're doing the same where you know like oh Fenix shot that one, Kara shot yeah. that one. So yeah, we have the run and gun escape sequence with a total Vietnam dust off vibe as uh yeah, so as they start picking off the uh the troopers, they start they make their way up to the rooftop. It's like, "Come on." Um and we see this the heroic it's literally the the dust off Huey to me like the, oh, the yeah, camera totally. angle in comes Hot slave smoke. one right into it doesn't even land, puts it into a hover mm-hmm. just like a dust off chopper and they jump on board. Uh, to make their escape. The only thing missing is the yellow smoke from a cannon. Seriously. To mark a, yeah. To mark the landing zone. zone. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the way they shot this too, the uh, Mando jumps and leaps and makes it. And then they, they sort of, it's from underneath. And, and I almost thought that uh, Mayfield wasn't going to make the jump. That's what I thought too. Did you get that impression? Like it was going to be the, that? you know, like. It looks t- like he fell short. Of to it, the ledge they, or something. Or, yeah. you know, Mando would have to grab him to pull him in. Yeah. Who he knows? lands hard. Well, they, does, you know what though? Hard. Like again, I know it's television, so I mean your your budgets are smaller, and you, you know maybe there's less takes because you have a, a tighter shooting schedule. But maybe that is an element that they initially played with. You know that he wasn't going to make it initially, and that they would you know role reversal. Amanda would have to help him, uh, and maybe that just got abandoned. Who knows? But um, yeah. As they pull away, May, uh, Mayfeld beckons uh, Mando to hand him the uh, cycler rifle that Boba had been carrying around. The Tuscan cycler. Yeah, yeah. And he dials in. There's a, one of the a transport uh, conveniently sticking with its bum out the, out the hangar door, and the Redonium canisters are exposed. But uh, he takes aim and uh, talk about, you know, skill. Uh, Mayfeld must really be a, a pretty good shot because they're it's a moving like slave one is moving and he takes that shot and nails it from what to me looks like several hundred meters at least two or three oh, yeah. and to reinforce it you cut to Fennec uh, who is known for never missing never a shot missing yeah that's rifle, right yeah and says hell of a shot uh, yeah yeah so high praise coming from her and uh, we get the you know, what is traditional Star Wars fare with the chain reaction explosion, and it takes out the entire refinery. And Mayfeld says something here, and I, I forgot to mention it earlier, because he says it three times in the episode. And we all need to sleep at night. It. We all need to sleep at night. He says it in a different way every time. The first way is sort of like, people got to find a way to sleep at night. And then the second way is sort of like, whatever you have to do to find a way to sleep at night. And then this one is, he's found his way to sleep at night. Yeah, I I related that back to somebody who suffers from PTSD and they've got to, mm-hmm. you know, they've got to find a way to Closure. get through yeah, to get through their day. That's right. So, I'd forgotten that they were out there, but the two ties, <laughs> the two tie fighters uh that, you know, uh, beat off the uh the pirates uh suddenly come back and mm-hmm. now it's a it's a chase sequence. So, and it's a really cool chase sequence as Boba puts it into a steep climb. And he's just giving her and tells them basically to uh, the two ties give chase and Boba tells Mando and Mayfield to hang on. And uh, we get this nice call back to uh, Attack of the Clones where he drops a seismic charge on them. They kind of ragdoll in their seats a little too. They do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, that, and they're in an atmosphere, so I mean, like, they've got to yeah. be feeling it. No inertial dampers. No, exactly, right? Star Wars. Love the the callback to the seismic charge and the, oh, man. the, the absence of sound before they unleash that wow. Um, but to see those two TIE fighters, like, literally, it was like, it's like watching a soap bubble burst. Oh, man. I said that. Uh, somebody looped it on YouTube for two hours. I don't know. I just saw. I didn't even watch it. I just saw it. Sent it to you. I was like, like, who does straight. that? Who does that? Who's got who the time that? to do that? Yeah, Who's exactly. got the time to do a three-hour podcast every Saturday? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the girls, uh, Fennec and and Kara, are watching from the ground, and they see the whole thing from. You get a shot from their perspective, and they kind of like have that, like, oh, okay. Uh, and then we cut to the crew in a clearing, coming off. Mayfeld and uh, Mando are coming off of Slave One. Mayfeld now dressed in typical civilian garb, I guess. And That's what he was wearing when he got on board. Yeah. Um, well, it's not. Prison. No, it wasn't he because was in, like, the prison he was in this prison jumpsuit, jumpsuit when he got on. But when it. they were talking in the in the in the cargo hold. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, Mando back in his Beskar armor. Oh, something I should have brought up way, 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 way back at the beginning of our episode was. In the previous episode at the Hill, there was a lot of talk about what happened to Mando's jetpack because he took it off. Um, yes, clearly, true. he picked it up, yes, he, which I just assumed he did anyway. I can't believe that over the course of a, of what uh, a week now that this was a a serious you know uh, argument amongst fans whether he just left it on Tython. Like, no, you idiots! There's no way he left it there. No, there's some silly things they talk about. <laughs> There's there's things that happen off camera that, you know, it, there's no suspension of disbelief required. Right. We just know, like, he's not going to leave it there. That's dumb. You have to assume that all characters urinate and defecate. Yes. I just don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the show, so, but even that, right? You don't, you don't see it, but what do you see? The Razor Crest had a toilet in plain view. Totally. Do you totally. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Star Wars went out of its way to not show us that stuff later on yeah. in like expanded universe materials. They showed us in schematics where the refresher, the mm-hmm. fancy star Wars word for bathroom, where yeah. the refresher was on the millennium Falcon, but you never saw it. Yeah. So to take that extra step and show you that there's a, there's a toilet that just lends itself to that whole, like star Wars better than a lot of sci-fi or sci fantasy uh, worlds or, or properties really does go out of its way to make it look lived in. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. So Mando back in his, uh, Beskar complete with jetpack says to Mayfeld, he's like, thanks for your help. And, uh, he's like, yeah, well, good luck getting your kid back. It's, and th- that's a big distinction that you have to sort of focus on. It's not yes. the kid. It's your kid. Yeah, even Cara Dune says it at the beginning of the episode. They took his kid. Yeah. Yeah. So resolve that, uh, you know, he's going back to prison. He stretches out his hands and is like, well, take me back. And uh, again, here we here we have this moment. This is the cool little piece for Kara where she's like, like I said before, she was really, she even said in the last episode, you know how I feel about the Empire. And she's, you know, on the run because for whatever reason, she just doesn't want to get picked up. Uh, in season one, but uh, she makes uh, an overture and it's like, Hey, it's uh, too bad. Mayfeld didn't make it out, uh, make it out alive back there. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he says, well, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> for a split second. Yeah. He's like, are they going to kill me? Yeah, exactly. And, and you can see him kind of wondering, is this, is this really happening? What's going on? 
And then Mando kind of, he echoes it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess he didn't. And uh, he's like, what, you, I, I can go? You want, cause, cause I will. <laughs> like, and even after he steps off and starts walking away, he's like looking over his shoulder. Like, am I about to get double crossed here? Like, yeah, is yeah, this for yeah. real? Only to, uh, to see slave one, uh, lifting off as he kind of wanders off into the, uh, into the jungle. Hopefully for his sake, there's still a tie fighter kicking around somewhere over there. Well, you know, there's gotta be something laying around. Uh, <laughs> If not, he's conveniently landlocked into a place where we know we can come back and revisit him, right? Certainly. So typical, archetypical uh, wipe shot, wipe transition, wipes up to Moff Gideon's light cruiser on the bridge. Mm. And uh, we see Gideon uh, just sort of standing about on the bridge. The door uh, to the bridge opens up and it's the comms officer. And she's like, you need to see this. And it's a hollow transmission. And it's this super, super cool hollow of Mando. And just before we go there, though, the comms officer for yeah. the third time, yeah, now, yeah. played by Katie O'Brien. Right. The hollow goes off, and if it's not an exact parroting of the same speech that Gideon gave back in season one. Right about, down to the gate. Yeah. But the emphasis, he, he really emphasizes the whole uh, means more to me than you'll ever know. You know, kind of, it's almost like a one-up thing. Yes. Yeah. And you get this, like, it has a different weight to it. It's, and I said, you know, when, when Mando was parroting the speech back, I was trying to come up with like uh, an, an analogy for it. And it's, to me, it's like, remember Taken, like Liam Neeson is like, I have a certain set of skills and when I find you, I will kill you. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's the Liam Neeson moment, you know, where, where I man, will find you. Yeah, that's right. It's the same phone call, even though, you know, it's the, the speech from Gideon. No, absolutely. So it's literally, you know, how far will a father go for their kid? So talking about the believer, you know, there's a moment there where I don't know about you guys, but you could see a shift in Gideon's expression where it's like, I don't know if he's now I don't know if there's an element of fear there. But there is definitely a, a reconsideration maybe of his position in terms of like, you know, is he is he doing the, oh, I've underestimated you? Like something has happened for Gideon in that moment. A little bit of pensiveness for sure. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. A little facial shift there. And it's fade to black after that and the episode concludes. Also, uh, first episode that there has been no Grogu at all. No Grogu. <laughs> I was on one of the one of those other guys uh, sites last night and they were they put out an article about like that exact uh, thing with, the, you know, breaks a show tradition. And mm-hmm. I and I commented, I'm like, what the show tradition where Mando gets shot every episode? <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, I think we're the first ones to point out that he hasn't said this is the way in several episodes. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it's just like a perfunctory, like that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a greeting between Mandalorians. Like, does he, does he really, back in season one, and I'm trying to remember, does he just throw it out there to anybody or is it only? he says it to Quill. I I believe he says it to. You know, yeah, you're right. I think even to uh, Vanth, he even says it too. I believe so. Yeah. So. Uh, And uh, the gunslinger, I think. Uh, Oh yeah. Uh, What's his name? That kid. Uh, several times, at least once, if not twice, in every single episode. Yeah. And quite heavily in the first several episodes. 
to the point where it was like the sort of the tagline for the show. Yeah, of course it was. Of course, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's really you heard it heard it here first, kids. So that's chapter fifteen in a long nutshell. They can't all be action all the time, there, kids. So uh, I guess we can uh, close it off by talking about sort of um, you know what do we what do we think? Where's it going? And uh, final predictions for the pentultimate. Anybody want to go first? Well, we're we're coming to a head. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely coming to a head. We're going to get that. The I don't think it's going to be as uh, mental of a Mexican standoff as we as we were thinking. I don't think there's as many factions involved in this finale. Yep. Uh, especially of the stuff that came out from Disney last night, because uh, a lot of the choices. Uh, especially in the Ahsoka episode and some of that stuff make a lot more sense now. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think you're going to get the the grant. I think your team is assembled. I think that's what we're going to get, what we get. Um, and we may still see uh, a Jedi join them in the search for, for Grogu. I do think we're um, going to get a Jedi as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. There's good. I mean, it's gotta be a two hour episode. There's so much left for this. I, I know this was a lot of, um, thematic heavy stuff to and to get the character arc of of Din Djarin to to get to these places but it it, it did have a lot of filler episode qualities to me yeah For it, it sure so did so close to the end i was ex- and i've we've spent i think every single episode since frogmom going best episode ever best yeah episode ever, best episode ever and i can't say that about this one. to have this i i thought of it as like the three i call it the three episode ramp up you know, where that was just like, oh, my God. And then, it was, oh, my God. And, oh, my God. Yeah. And, and then, then it's like, oh, yep. <laughs> it so it's way back interesting on choice. So maybe it means we're going to jump the the shark in the next one in a good way. Hopefully yeah, good exactly. Way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're going to jump the rancor. Yeah, there it is. I don't really have a lot more to add uh, on the episode other than. You know, much like the Ice Cave episode where, you know, we we had some reservations about that one as well. But the the development piece for Mando was there and I really, really like that. I this one kind of echoes that for me, but it's it's the yes. May, it's the Mayfeld development that I really dug into on this. I, I quite like that. So absolutely uh, an enjoyable episode, not the not the uh, lip of the ramp that I thought we were going to get to springboard mm-hmm. into the to the rescue but like you say a bit of a throttle back to you know I, I guess it you know as a viewer it gives us a little bit of a pause to take a breath before we go right back into it again well, it's very true and it's it's a big galactic perspective shift yeah uh, yeah you yeah. get to think think about things from from many different perspectives and it questions your belief in empire, republic, good, evil, what's right and wrong, uh, it, war and peace. So it does a lot of that. Uh, and it, it certainly, by throttling back, we know that we have to put the pedal to the metal in the next episode. Yeah, for so sure. Really looking forward to that. So just to close off on the, for me anyway, to close off on the development piece, because that's for me what this episode was about, just to reiterate that, you know, the believer or the belief, I think we could we could safely exchange belief with acceptance, and I think that's a a, a common thread 
uh, throughout the episode that everybody's accepting now of of what it is that they they truly do believe. So I like that aspect. I'm excited for the next one. I still think we're going to I do still think we're going to get a Jedi. As you say the crew is probably who it is right now. Uh mm-hmm. the the one, two, three, four of them. <laughs> uh-huh. I think we might pick up one or two. Maybe a grief cargo. Or... Is there an opportunity for uh, Bo-Katan to show up and, and help in some way? Possibly. I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, if anything, God, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Anybody else? Any other predictions for? Uh, not so much a prediction. I just think this one's cemented that he is now ready to go over whatever line is necessary to get the kid back. Yeah. To get his kid back. Safe to say that uh, he's no longer a child of the watch in the strictest sense. Yeah. And and also it, it, it sort of, you have to think it, it changes the way he views the attachment to the child because before it was all about fulfilling the creed. Yeah. And honoring his word. And now it's no longer about that. I, I don't even think he would, hand him over to anyone at this point. Yeah. So I think you might find some conflict with a Jedi who wants that. It's entirely possible, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so that about wraps it up for uh, Chapter 15, The Believer. We've got uh, one more week to go, gentlemen. And uh, I don't know if you guys noticed uh, last night, I I saw it this morning, uh, the official word on Season 3. And uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, December 25th, 2021. So we get a long haul to get to season three. So season two Pentultimate had better deliver because if I've got to wait a year, you got to give me something to salivate on to hang on for that long. (laughs) It'll be incredible. I can't wait. All right, guys. That's it for me. Anything else you guys want to close on? Just that we always end the episode with this is the way and it might not be the way anymore, fellas. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. My name's Wes. This is Phantom Power Presents The Fandalorian. And I'm a believer. I'm a believer. All right. I'm a believer too. Until next week, gentlemen. Bye for now. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Phantom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? 
Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>